Uh, so I'm in California, Steve. It is, in fact, 4.44 a.m. Would it, would, it shock you if I, would it shock you if I said that this is actually quite a late start for me this week? I mean, is this just because you are generally an early riser or are you absolutely jet-lagged to oblivion? I think it's an absolutely unholy combination of unable to sleep at the best of times, uh, a massive great big tide, time difference, a phenomenal amount of coffee required in order to stay awake uh, because of said lack of sleep all adds up to getting up exceptionally early. It does mean you're very productive. Basically, it means that you do a, a sort of a day's work on UK time and then you do a day's work on US time and then there still seems to be some time left to mess about. So, yeah, it's good. Apart from I don't think it feels very sustainable. No, um, you know that you're supposed to get a good eight hours. <laughs> so so I'm, I think I'm, my sleep tracking is telling me that I'm, I'm ticking along at more like two and a half at the moment. So I don't know how long that can last for. Um, but it's good though. What a place this is. Yeah. Can I be one of those like really irritating people who refuse to acknowledge that you're actually doing quite a lot of work over there and just say, are you having a good time? Well, I mean, that is the thing, isn't it, about work trips? We all, there's all, there's all that, always that little niggle, isn't there, where we think, oh, they say they're busy, but are they really? So I'm stuck here in the rain in my office. They're swanning about somewhere. Can't see what they're doing. It's bad, Steve, that. It's one, it should be, it's one of the seven sins, I think, that sort of suspicion. Um, it is, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been here? Have you been to California? I had a fleeting visit when I um, went to cover the US Open at Pebble. Oh yeah, so you did. So, so you did. Like, but I didn't. I didn't see much of California outside the confines of Pebble and um, the motel and the Apple Jacks close to the motel we were staying in, um, which was a place that <laughs> apparently was renowned for garlic. Uh, it was renowned for its garlic, and then a month after we left was also renowned for being the scene of mass shooting at a garlic festival. Oh that my is my experience of California. Um, so I, I've, I've been I've been to California a couple of times before, but I've never been down here in sort of SoCal. Um, so we're basically just half an hour north of San Diego. Um, it, it's from a golf point of view, it's it's just absolutely fascinating. So first of all, loads of the um, equipment manufacturers have got their headquarters here. So um, Cobra, Titleist, TaylorMade. Callaway, Fujikura shafts, KBS shafts um, have all got either sort of significant, um, a significant presence here from a, a an office point of view or bits where their HQ is. Um, so it's it's quite an enclave um, of the golf industry um, from, from a manufacturing perspective. And that's kind of the principal reason we're here is to go and we're creating some content with uh, TaylorMade, Callaway, KBS, um, got meetings with them and a few others um, from a commercial point of view. Um, but it really does feel like golf town from that point of view, which is kind of, is an interesting thing in itself. Um, and then we are obviously getting some golf in. Um, so 
in a kind of like, I guess, sort of pretty uh, Neanderthal way. We were at one point seeing if we can go and play golf in San Francisco or Carmel, um, which I think I think San Francisco might be as much as a 12-hour drive away. So it's, that's probably one for a different trip. Um, but we are getting some golfing around here. Um, one of the things that sort of stands out here is, is there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of low-key golf facilities in amongst some of the, the sort of private clubs. Um, we went to a really cool place called Goat Hill Park on Tuesday evening. I don't know if you've heard of it. I, I have heard of it. Um, lots of people on the internet have heard of it as well. It's a prototype kind of course, isn't it, for what golf apparently should be in the modern age? Well, it's 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 an Instagram favourite, isn't it? Um so I think that's where most of us have bumped into it. There's a lot of cool pictures of it. Um, and uh, I think it's it's um, it's a favourite of woke golf, shall we say. Um, people have been telling me about a bounce game that they that was organised there once that Jeff Ogilvy attended, and that, that is about right. It's very much a Jeff Ogilvy sort of sweet spot of a venue. It's a really, I mean, it's a, it's a brilliant backstory. Um, so it was um, a municipal um, that was kind of under threat of clothing down, mainly because of just very, very poor maintenance, I think. Um, and John Ashworth, who's the guy who um, founded the Ashworth clothing golf brand, um, picked it up from the council and was able to secure the, the lease for the for the premises. And he's got a he's got a new golf brand, which is called Link Soul, which is a sort of very trendy um, apparel company, which is based just around the corner see earlier comments about this being a golf enclave from a head office point of view um so he sort of picked it up in a in a state of significant um disrepair um and it's sort of a, i guess sort of suffered from um a falling dwindling participation in golf and a kind of lack of tlc um and the, i think the whole thing had just sort of gone to dirt basically very there was like almost no irrigation um and they picked it up in 2014 um and they sort of started a campaign that was called save golf hill and it just became this kind of massive um community project uh he's they've obviously been able to call on all sorts of sort of celebrity um friends and kind of um industry people to to help with the save goat hill campaign so i think they had t-shirts at the start which were um worn by people like bill murray and kelly slater you can't you can't actually move for bill murray can you in in golf circles it just pops up everywhere right um and they and they kind of got it off the ground there's been a there's been a golf course there since since 1952 i think um but i think in those when they kind of started its renaissance in 2014 they they dragged in people from um uh, the local community to a kind of convinced the council that it still should be a golf facility. And their, their pitch was basically that having a golf facility is just as important as having a football pitch or a tennis court for local people to play on. Um, and I think they ended up with 45 or 50 people actually speaking at this presentation to say why they should they needed this golf facility. And then I think those same people then helped with the kind of course clear-up. So it was kind of done like as a massive community project. So they were like, people from the local community coming along and helping move dead trees and pouring concrete and planting grass seed and blah, 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 blah. So it's, it's, it's been something that I think a lot of local people have got behind. Um, and it's like the, the, 
the whole place has now got that feel to it. It's just somewhere that people go to spend time. Um, you can play disc golf there. You can obviously play golf there. You can walk your dog there. Um, and they've, But they've managed to make it cool. That's the sort of thing. Like I've bought a hat and a hoodie and the brand's cool. We've got music playing in the bar. Um, it's an unbelievably hilly golf course. I guess that's where Goat Hill comes from, as in it would be handy to be a goat to be able to walk around it. Um, but the hot, they've got this, um, they've got a little three-hole kids course. Um, they've got some like um, very, very forward tees, but, but they've actually gone and built tees for them with AstroTurf so kids can play 60, 80-yard holes actually on the proper golf course. So the whole, there's no, obviously no dress code. The whole thing is just, I don't know, it was it was a bit of an eye-opener, to be honest. Um, I can't think that we've got anything similar um, in the UK at all. Um, so yeah, it was, it's, I don't know, I'm sort of still assim- assimilating my thoughts on it because it was quite, it was quite epiphanal in many ways. Like we'd sort of gone not know, really knowing what to expect and we could sort of come to California with these like sort of big expectations of going and playing trophy venues and private members clubs and ticking off loads of boxes. And then our first game ended up at Goat Hill and that, I guess, sort of jars to start off with by the time we played six or seven holes we were just having we were having a good time for good time's sake um and what has also been a thing is that everybody that we've met and we've met a lot of people already that's what they want to talk about so i was wearing my goat hill hoodie yesterday everybody we walked into in various different golf brands head office where they're fitting shafts on tour for um billionaire golfers um and they've involved right at the top end of the game they just think Goat Hill's cool is all they want to talk about. It's, oh, you've been there, can't believe you're in there. It's brilliant, isn't it? They've got a Friday night skins game where anyone can turn up and play. Um, and that, I think, has just become a thing that you, you can't really get a, t- a tea time at because it's so popular. People want to go and spend time there. Um, so it was awesome. It was it was, it was was pretty cool. And it was like a real, a real kind of um, – well, you keep using the word prototype, don't you? But it was a real kind of um, – I guess, sort of vision of what golf could be if it had kind of, if it had developed in a different way, let's say. Yeah. Do you think it's, does it fit into the culture of sort of California surfing or is it its own separate entity? I'm, I'm just, I asked that question because I just wonder, is it absolutely, you know, unique to its circumstances in its community or does it fit in with what is also around it? Because that could explain, wouldn't it, why it's, sort of so different compared to the golf we've seen elsewhere i mean that that's a really good question like you you often see things that work in one place trying to be crowbarred into another environment and for one reason or another it just doesn't work right weather being a big one i guess um we but we we were at somewhere last night we went to hit some balls like yesterday evening um and we ended up at a very similar facility, which had a kind of like very tin cup driving range. Um, it had like a little par three pitch and putt. Um, and it was packed. It was absolutely packed. And there was all sorts there. I mean, I, there, there were like kids. There were people with like one club, whacking balls. There was people um, paddling around the, the par three course with like two or three clubs in their hand with no bag. And then we were sat next to a, um, a VP. We were hitting balls next to a vice president from TaylorMade, coincidentally, who was there with his um, special order shaft ripping his stealth two down the range. 
Um, so that the, I, I think there is an element that this kind of thing works here because it's easy to do because the weather's better, so the sort of ground doesn't need quite so much maintenance. And I guess there is, um, there is a sort of SoCal vibe to it. I think that's a bit of a cliche, though. Like it's, you are allowed to kind of. Um, dumb down the rules wherever you are in the world it doesn't have to it's not specific to here is it um so i don't know i mean what it what it reminded me of um is is a municipal course at home but i guess that's the closest we've got to it where there are fewer rules and um the kind of cost i mean it cost us 20 dollars to play 18 holes at um five o'clock in the afternoon um so the, the cost is lower so it, ha- it, it has got that sort of muni kind of feel to it um so i guess and that that is an issue isn't it for us in the uk because municipals are closing left right and center aren't they yeah which is particularly um discouraging for me given that i basically played most of my early golf at a municipal um i used to play at a garden center Did you? A garden center. yeah it was called norton golf course it was a garden center it was a really quirky course it was good it was really good it was popular but it was um Sorry, it was called what, sorry? Norton Golf Course. It was at a garden centre. I can't remember what the garden centre was called. Norton's like halfway between Billingham, where I grew up in Teesside, and um, and Stockton. So it's like in the, it's like in the middle. Um, it's, yeah. um, it, there was a bit of land there, and it was a really, really good golf course, pretty quirky. It had a, it had a first hole where... Um, you either played safe down the right-hand side. I mean, imagine the hole as an L with a big pond, basically, on the diagonal. So you could basically try and hit it over the diagonal, over the water, under the green, which is a very small green. Or you could basically hit a 7-iron and then another 7-iron. I mean, it was quality. I loved it. It's closed now, unfortunately, which is a, which is a, which has happened, as you say, to a lot of municipals. I, I think the decline in municipal con, con, uh, golf in this country is... Uh, is um, to be lamented, frankly, um, yeah. because I think, it, and, and I say this as a member of a private members club, private members club clubs do very good things um, and they serve their members really well. And that's the point that I'm making. They serve their members really well. They do what their members want. Um, and a lot of the kind of proprietary clubs along with it don't stray too far from that model there are some that do but but mainly the point of difference between the proprietary and the private members club is basically profit you know an owner gets profit or doesn't um the golf is still run on you know i i could go into my local proprietary club and it would look and feel very similar to where i play at york you know there'd be a lot of the same similar rules for example regarding dress and so on um and so they serve their markets really well. But that Goat Hill market that you were talking about is not unusual to this country. Top Tracer proves that. Top Golf proves that. Um, because these are relaxed environments for golf where someone can just go, hit some balls, have a drink, have a meal and something like that. And they're packed, aren't they? They're absolutely packed. Foot well, golf is very, very well in this country. Foot golf does. People love it because it's a very similar vibe, I think. You know, no one, there's no silly rules. No one's there sort of getting on your shoulder. It's just pay your money, kick a ball around, put it in the hole, and then have a pint afterwards if you want. That market that, you, that, that you've experienced, I think, is absolutely there to be exploited in this country. But does anyone who 
is really involved in our sport want to do that. I think that is changing because I think the RNA's golf facility might actually be that Goat Hill prototype here where it's not just about golf, it's about lots of other things. And I think if that facility proves successful, which it should, then we'll see lots more jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so there are, I think there's something like 3 million people living in the in the San Diego kind of metropolitan region, which where we are as part of in Carlsbad. Um, this Goat Hill place is in a kind of suburb called Oceanside. Um, everything's got cool names in America, right? Um and it was quite. This place was closed for a month in 2020 because of COVID, and it's it still did 42,000 rounds. That's quite a lot of golf. Um, yeah. So I think your, typ- your typical private members club is probably doing more like 10,000. I would have thought. Um, so that is a phenomenal amount of rounds of golf. There's obviously a huge appetite for it. It's interesting that you say about the RNA project and kind of has anybody involved in um, UK golf got the appetite for this sort of thing. I think that is worth saying about the Goat Hill project is that John Ashworth is obviously a man of significant um, means, but also a man of significant connections, also a phenomenally nice guy, um, and has, has been able to call in a ton of favours, both in terms of the promotion. Like the, the kids' course at Goat Hill was designed by Gil Hans, so that's quite a, that's quite a big favour. Um, but what it speaks to, I guess, is people involved at the very top of the golf industry recognizing that they can help um, with this kind of facility. And I think that's the sort of message that we've been getting from the people that we've met here is that, yes, they might they might choose to be um, a member at a private club so they can take their, where they take their golf on a Saturday. Um, but that doesn't mean they don't recognize the requirement for this sort of facility and they'll do everything they can to help, help it get off the ground. Um, that's one of the things I think is worth saying in, in this sort of debate about um, making golf more accessible. It, the debate is often quite polemic, isn't it? Like when people talk about um, dress codes and stuff, it's either it's a either or. It's either we have dress codes or we don't have dress codes. But presumably there's enough space that there are types of clubs for everybody. Um, I think that was the feeling that I left with, that this is a kind of um, – it's a kind of perfectly acceptable form of golf to lots and lots of people, me included. Um, but there will be people out there who just wouldn't recognise it as a golf club because there's people wearing trainers and jeans and drinking beer on the way around and playing music, which for for many is really cool. For others, is just unthinkable, right? Yeah, I think there's a place for both, though. Um you know, I, I, my views on this have changed a little bit over the years. I mean, I am staunchly anti-dress code um might as well be honest about that um i just think that you know i just think that arguing over the length of a pair of socks is ridiculous you know whether you're the ultra private members club or whether you're the municipal down the road you know turning down business because someone's got ankle length socks on you will never be able to tell me that that's that that is common sense it's just stupid having said that you know there are um there are other areas within dress codes that are worth pre- are worth preserving or are worth bearing with if that's part of the experience of going to play that club. I will accept that, you know, part of the experience of going to, say, one of the open venues where there's a lunch is that you get dressed up for the lunch, right? And you, you put on a jacket and you put on a pair of trousers and you put on a tie and you enjoy that experience with go- that goes with it that's part of the experience but i think we just get we, we get too hung up in this country on 
things that really don't matter. Um, and for the vast majority of us who play our golf, you know, whether you wear a pair of shorts with a particular pocket on it or whether your shorts are ankle length or, or knee length, it's just like, it's just, it reminds me of the, the Tyrrell Hatton hoodie thing. Um, and that club in Wearside that sent a missive basically on their website to all their members saying that they wouldn't be allowing hoodies at, at their golf clubs. It's like just, just like, well, yeah, if you want to get international recognition, that's the way to do it. I'm not sure it's pretty, it's not sure it's the way you <laughs> wanted to do it. Um, yeah. And, and so, I, so I just think you've got to have, you've got to have some common sense about this. I will say one more thing about dress codes. We're slightly off topic. Um, but I think a lot of clubs are being more sensible about this now. If you if you look on a lot of websites now, you won't see things like no hoodies. What you'll see is that people are asked to wear recognised golf attire, yeah. which is a subtle but significant change, I think. So there is, there is movement in these areas, and I think that we are starting to you know, get into the 21st century at last. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. So the, when I said the the... the the experience was sort of epiphanal. I guess like we, I was excited to go because I'd read about it and all the rest of it. And Hannah and Jack, who I'm with, had the, they were just like, "What is he on about now? Like, why why are we doing this?" Um, and they are kind of, I guess, at the other end of the um, the golf spectrum. Like Hannah's is kind of, we sort of um, take the Mickey out of her being elite amateur, but she's trackman numbers and um, championship venues. And he's playing golf because he wants to play competitive. And Jack's a PJ pro, so it's very much the same. Despite his pencil bag and his half set, um, he's still in, into sort of good golf courses, should we say, and competitive golf and getting better. Um, so the first few holes were a bit weird. Like this golf course is quite hilly. They'd they'd hollow signed and sanded the greens, and yeah, as so it was, it wasn't it wasn't perhaps what you necessarily come to. Um, the states for from a golf point of view i would say by the seventh or eighth hole we were all just having a good time for good time's sake right uh it's quick it's like four and a half thousand yards like it's not taking you all day to get around um we played a full round of golf after having done a full full day's work and it gets it gets dark here at about seven or half seven um we didn't do a whole lot of putting because um we weren't we you know we were just we were just having a knock um and it was cool. So we'd like hit golf shots. We chatted. Uh, we had the, 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 a lot of the holes are good golf holes, as in you can, there are different ways to play them. You can hit little shapes and try and take on dog legs or you can lay it up. They've got, it's got very small greens. It, the elevation change on the better holes is like a, a huge advantage for it as a, as a piece of land. The views are unbelievable. Um, and I guess for people who are sort of down the rabbit hole of, uh, arguing about WHS or um, obsessing about what their WHS index are or their trackman numbers, it was quite. It was quite. Uh, it was pretty cool. As in, it kind of made you realise that you just sort of golf's supposed to be fun, right? Um, and I think that was the sort of big takeaway. And you do you, to go back to your original question, like you do wonder whether a facility like that would stick in the UK because. It need it, it sort of does it need the weather to be good? I don't know. Like it, it, what it needs to be is kind of short and quick and easy for people to get on. Um, their their motto is uh, world class um, and working class, which I absolutely love as a strapline. Um, 
And I think it, this idea that something can be good, but it doesn't have to be cost of fortune and it doesn't have to come with a lot of pomp and ceremony, that's not something we're especially good at in England particularly. No, we love our golf to have pomp and ceremony, don't we? Even if it's a midweek Stapleford. So, yeah. um, I mean, I, I, I'm very much in... I'm, I've, I've oscillated during the years. Um, I, I wonder, and, I, and I've said this in previous podcasts, I wonder actually as much of the golf, as much as the golf course is great, I wonder if a lot of what I like about golf is basically what happens afterwards. Um you know, yeah, yeah. The atmosphere. I was back. I was back at my old club a couple of weeks ago. I was doing a rules night there for some of their new members, um, and the buzz in the bar was absolutely fantastic. Um, and I'd forgotten it was that good, and I actually realised that that was a lot of what I actually wanted from golf. You know, as much as I, I like hitting it and, and obviously playing a great golf course, what I also like is to have a nice pint and something to eat afterwards and, and just natter on um to people and it was like midweek evening and there was plenty of people in there and the previous time i'd went before to have to have a talk about it it was a friday afternoon at half past four and the place was rammed and you could just feel like the buzz in the room and i imagine that that's what you experienced afterwards at goat hill just this like cool vibe afterwards yeah i think yeah i think like, like what happens afterwards is like ma- a massive part of it for lots of people i think the the point here is it's it's re- it makes it really easy for you to be able to take your golf, right? So you can take your dog, you can take your kids. It doesn't take all day. You can wear what you want. So the sort of barrier to be, to be able to get on the golf course is zero, right? Because you, you don't have to worry about not mm-hmm. enough time or whatever else. You can just go and do it. Um, so it reminds me a bit of like a um, an honesty box type of place in, in Scotland or like where the where the golf course is like just the middle of the community and it's just where you go that is that is something that a lot of a lot of facilities have lost the point of is that you you make your if you can make your golf course and the bar and everything the heart of the 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 local community whatever that means to you is that is what gets people there and that's what makes the game sustain right it's making it easy for the people locally to to get on get out and, and do some golf it sounds dead simple, doesn't it? But somewhere along the way, I think some of that's been lost. Because, yeah, but I think, I mean, it's, it, I, I hinted this earlier. I mean, it is difficult, isn't it? Because I imagine if you, like, went into uh, a private members club, I mean, let's let's take my club. I'm not criticising my club here. You know, and you ask the members about what was provided, I would imagine that a lot of the members would be very satisfied with what was provided at the club. It's what they want. Um, and given that they're given that they own it, essentially, as an institution, you know, the members own the golf club, what they want is paramount. And what they want might not necessarily be what, for example, I might want from a facility, but then I have choice, don't I? I suppose I can decide whether I want to take that or not. So as much as I'd like every golf course in the UK to be like Goat Hill, I suppose the key consideration is, is it delivering what the members are asking for? And if the members are happy, then that's probably the most important thing. And as long as we finally get to a point where facilities like Golfit exist and there is that ability for someone who wants that kind of as much about off the course as on the course and they can get that, then we'll all be happy. I don't think we're yet that we're there yet though. That's the thing. I think we've got private members clubs that serve their members and serve them well. We've got proprietary clubs who 
in a lot of cases are essentially mimicking what private clubs have done because that's what they've done, um, you know, depending on when and where they were founded. And we haven't really got, we, we've got that kind of like Royal Norwich course that's, that's sort of moving in between the two, but obviously there's cost connected with that. Um, we haven't really got that kind of um, top golf experience, relaxed golf experience, I think, yet. I'm going to get loads of tweets now from people saying to me, my course does exactly that. Great. I'll, quite, I'll love to come and see you and come and see what you do and write about it. That will be yeah. fantastic. But I, I think it would be really interesting to see what happens with golf. If that's a success, then I imagine that we'll see clubs incorporating parts of that into their model because – once money starts flowing, people start paying attention. Yeah, I think um, I think the the one of the differences here is that like some people who um, are credible have gone along and said this is cool. That's sort of what it needs, right? So that's me anyway. So we've got some we've got some other golf planned this weekend, uh, which I'm looking forward to. I'm going to go and queue up at Tory Pines on Friday morning. Are you? Yeah, I think so. Um, so that's another municipal, right? You can't, um, you can't join. It's all um, pay and play. They've got some uh, like residence cards and stuff, which makes it easier for local people to get time. Um, if you're visited to the area, there's quite restrictions on how far in advance you can book, and obviously a lack of planning means that they haven't done that. Um, is, it a, is it a Beth Page Black St Andrews thing? Are you going to have to basically like sleep in your car? Well, it's. I'm going to say that the their web presence is not the best. <laughs> but what I think I've been able to assimilate is that you can book a time from seven, um, but the place sort of opens at six. So I think the idea is that if you get there in the middle of the night, which see comments about uh, jet lag, I'll have no problem doing, um, then you can just sort of queue up from six. And as a single player, it seems like you probably definitely get on. Hmm. But it's well, like good half luck. an hour away, so half, it's half an hour away. So you've got, got to go it. and try it, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, got to get so, it so that'll be that'll be good. And then we've got some golf arranged over the weekend, which will also be good. Um, so yeah, so that's me having a great time. Thank you. Although Jack got me on a, some sort of high protein, no alcohol diet, which is causing me quite a lot of distress. Uh, apart from that, it's been quite a good week so far. What have you been doing? Uh, I went to TaylorMade on Monday. I went to the Belfry and had a through-the-back fitting. Right. It was very exciting. As in, like, everything? Everything. Wedges, well, irons, drivers? Yeah. No putter. Well, um, they they couldn't improve on my driver. It had been so well fitted by my head pro, Mark Rogers, that um, I, did right. try, I did try the Stealth 2 hydro edition and um we couldn't get any more out of it so right so we've lost the bet there because i was i was convinced you'd end up in that yeah yeah so um i mean it was it was great all the way around there was not a lot of so i I said last week i have a real um tendency when under pressure in a fitting situation to shank it um and you and as as we expressed last week you've seen this in action and it's really not pretty um so I'd kind of warned um we'll hear from him we'll hear from him later on but I was fitted by uh, Daniel Warwick who's head professional at the Belfry 
um, and um, I warned him that this was um, a potential occurrence. Um, and I largely got through it unscathed. When we got into the pitching wedge and the wedges, there were a couple that went a bit right. Um, <laughs> but, but it is a fun. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing phenomenon, isn't it? Like, it, I'm sorry, but it does reveal some underlying anxieties, doesn't it? Like, absolutely. I used to have a thing which I, th- I think I'm over now. If I was going to go and play like a, a trophy golf course, I would always play terribly. Like, it's just sort of the kind of whatever the word is, like, you really want to have your best your best day, don't you? And it's the same when you go to a club fitting. I don't know why you think that the person fitting you for clubs cares about anything to do with your golf. They really don't. <laughs> but you're desperate to show your best self, aren't you? And get I mean, get a shaft get a shaft in your irons that's just a little bit stiffer, please, because I don't. I normally swing it a bit faster than this. He was um, he was uh, very he was very patient and very. Um, he, he, he tried very hard to distract me when in, in the two minutes where I was in basically full tin cup, pepper it off the oil cans. <laughs> and, luckily, it was like at the end there. Um, so we'd like done the formative work. Um, so do you want to know what I was fitted into? I do, yeah. Well, have you not got some audio from this guy explaining to I you? I have, but we're talking about some technicalities there. So, I mean, very briefly, I'll say I was fitted into um, – I'm sticking with the driver, which is the Stealth 2. Um, I've been fitted into the Hydro 3-wood, though, um, with the same go. shaft there that I've got. Go. And I'm in the Hydro in both the hybrids as well, in a 19 and a 23, I think. Might be a 24. Um I'm in the stealth irons. Uh, he got me some considerable gain there, actually. Um, I, I mean, I was so uh, he, he he talks about this in the tape, but um, I went and fitted there with uh, I went and got fitted um, using a set of irons that I've only I've I've not had them for very long. I've only had them since the summer, and the stealth irons are a, a distance iron. They're a sort of game improvement iron, but they're not quite as uh, they're not quite as sort of um, uh, big on the top line as the Stealth HDs are. But anyway, um, I went with a set of – yeah, ch- yeah. You, I didn't really want to say that word, but you can, yeah. Um, so I went, with a set, I, I went with a set of distance irons, um, and he said, you know, we might have a bit of a challenge here finding you some more yardage because you've got a very modern club that essentially does the same thing, has, has some different – has some very similar lofts. And he got me seven extra yards with a seven iron. And then replicated that through the gapping, so pretty impressive, right? Um, yeah, that's good. And then he's uh, he's put me into a couple of um, high toe wedges, full face, uh, fifty four and fifty eight. Um, but I could talk about this all day, but there's no point in me talking about it because I asked Daniel to explain it. So why don't we hear from Daniel right now? So we've done we've done quite a lot of work there. Then um, we have, yeah, in, in a full bag fitting. Um, you fitted me into the stealth irons to start with. Yes. So I previously had T300s. Just tell me why you think the, the stealth irons will be really good for me. So what you get with the stealth irons is you've got maximum forgiveness and tons of ball speed with them as well. So I think what we saw when we when we compared them to what you was currently using is a, a good jump in sort of maybe sort of two to four mile an hour in ball speed. But maintaining the launch angles, he was getting some nice high launch with ball speed, which was in turn giving you probably 
probably sort of five to ten yards further than than what you was using so I think the thing was is you didn't want anything sort of too chunky but it actually looked quite nice so the thi- slightly thinner top line although it is a game improvement club it's it doesn't look too ugly when you look down on it it looks still really really pretty when you look down so I think the looks the ball speeds the forgiveness and then combining it with a really lightweight sort of steel shaft was really giving you some great launch and some good distance as well. I think we were looking at like seven, seven and a half yards overall, which yeah. given, given that I'm fitted in, or given that I was fitted into a very recent game improvement club going into another. Yeah, definitely. Mo- I mean, that's a big, that's a big gain, right? Yeah, I mean, like, a, like I said to you at the start, if you've come in with a set of current golf clubs, you're sort of fairly happy with. Yeah and you've been fitted well for, then that becomes quite a challenge to, to, to find gains. But I think actually it's, it was pretty good really to, to find what we found. I thought it was going to be a bit of a challenge because yeah. you were hitting them really nice. But actually, you know, we, um, we gained you that bit of distance. I think we said maybe sort of like 500 RPM more spin as well. So to give sometimes when you actually gain lots and lots of distance, you suffer on the spin rate, yeah. but you actually gained a little bit of spin. So actually, you know, that, that, that distance is controllable when it hits the green as well. So yeah, yeah it's good. We're happy with that. Um, we'll we'll talk about hybrid. We'll talk about hybrids and fairway in a minute. But just while we're on irons, um, high toe chrome, mm. so fifty four or fifty eight, which is what I've got anyway in my, yeah. in, in my bag. But but um, the sort of full face there feels like it could be a, a big confidence thing for me. I think so. I think when you're playing different shots and you're you're coming out of different conditions, bunkers, longer grass, shorter grass. That full face is just giving you a little bit more control on their miss strikes as well, and I think it looked really nice on that uh, on that chrome finish, which is a new one for this year compared to the sort of like the dark copper. Um, so the looks were great. They're going to sit in the bag nicely, look nice and pretty next to your stealths, and um, yeah, you got a bit of bounce on the back of them, and that full face to give you the forgiveness on the off centre hits as well. So it's yeah, really good. Yeah, interesting in the three wood and the hybrids um, that I've gone into Stealth HD. So my driver, obviously, which performs really, really well for me, is yes. in, in the Stealth. Yes. So uh, interesting that I've got that contrast between the Stealth and the Stealth HD. I yeah. Mean, what would we say about that? I think I think looking at your miss today, your your miss was, and you know, from what the feedback you've given me, miss was just a little bit right. So. The HD has got a little bit more weight into the hills. The centre of gravity is more draw biased. Uh, there's a little bit more loft on them as well, on the HDs as well. So it's just helping to get the ball up in the air to sort of fight against that right shot. And again, just a bit more forgiveness and a bit more launch. And combining that with the lightweight sort of shafts, I think they work really, really well. When, when we compare to the normal stuff, they just seem to work really well for you. And, you know, if you're hitting them better then you know, you've got to go into that into into that head you know yeah and, and you're pretty happy with the gapping i think as well i thought the gapping was really good yeah so we sort of kept that sort of 10 yard gap through the bag um obviously the real one that sort of impressed you today was a five iron so it was giving you that good sort of you know 160 165 carry and then going up into the hybrid probably adding another 10 yards for the four another 10 yards for the three another 10 to 15 for the fairway and then, you know, matching in with the driver, giving you as much as we can off the tee. So, yeah, it gapped out well. Going to have a good season, right? We hope so, yeah. Got a chance now. It's good. So there we are, Tom. I'm, I'm waiting for them to be delivered. I'm exceptionally excited about the prospect of putting an entire very, new bag in. I'm very pleased you've been and done it. And I'm very pleased you went to the Belfry. It's a cool facility, isn't it? Um, I've been to see Daniel before now, and he knows his stuff. So it's going to be... Uh, 
you're going to be cleaning up on egg sandwiches now, aren't you? I hope so, yeah. I mean, I, I just like need to get them into play as quickly as possible. Obviously, there'll be a little bit of difference with my current clubs. So, I mean, I'm like one of these guys, you know, to use a snooker parlance, can take a cue off the rack. Um, it doesn't take it doesn't take me months and months, but there will be there will be a period of adjustment as you get them. But yeah. you know, as someone who hasn't necessarily played a lot of golf over the last year, particularly in a club environment, this is absolutely going to get me out onto the golf course in a big way. So yeah, yes, it's very, very motivating, isn't it? New gear. Um, so we were going to talk about uh, you've written a piece about etiquette, haven't you? Uh, this came up at Goat Hill, actually, where we were sort of laughing, um, where some, uh, what's the word, what's the, traditional golfers were playing and they sort of encountered some non-traditional golfers and they sort of screeched up on their buggy and asked to play through, which meant, meant with very, met very, very confused faces from the people in front who I'm not sure really knew what they're on about. Uh, but that's not what you do, is it, Steve? That, they've broken a very, very particular rule of playing through there, haven't they? Exactly, wait to be invited. You don't, you don't just screech up and demand. Oh, I'd be. Uh, I like. I like to think that I'm a paragon of etiquette, but I would. I would absolutely get my nose up at that. So I've written about this, Tom. Um, you can read it on nationalclubgolfer.com. Um, I've written about an experience I had, um, a very specific one, on the golf course, but which lends into what you've just said there. And um, the one I had was um, at, we were in a two ball. Uh, it was a very, very busy on the course. Um, so lots of three balls and four balls ahead of us. Um, and I know etiquette would normally say that um, that you let the faster playing group play through. But, you know, we were realistic about this. You know, it's a bit, bit, you get through one group, then to be met by another, it's, it gets a bit pointless. Um, so we were sort of giving our, uh, we were giving due, due diligence. Is that right? We're giving, we were giving, we were keeping our distance. Um, with the group in front, because obviously you don't want them to feel like that they're rushing. And there was a group behind us as well, and we were trying to we, we were playing a, a, a very delicate balancing act, um, trying to sort of make sure everyone had a good day. Anyway, the pressure had obviously told at some point because by, by the time we got to the turn, the four ball in front of us waved us through. I think they were looking around, uh, you know, for a ball. Um, so we did that strange thing that people do when they play through, which is then accelerate to Usain Bolt levels of golf, hit the shot as quickly <laughs> as possible, and then do this kind of weird, you know, like, like all I can imagine, it's like, um, it's like the marathon walk at the Olympics. Do you know what I mean? You're not, you're not actually running, um, but you're not walking either. You're sort of bundling down with your bag. And then and obviously you, obviously you hit your approach shots as quickly as possible and almost invariably always skull it or make a complete fool of yourself. So anyway, so we, we we played our shots off the tee. And as we were sort of Monty Pythoning down there, um, something quite strange happened that I've seen a couple of times before. But the the, the the participants of the group in front then started like playing their approach shots. Um, and this curious thing happened um, where basically we were all like six of us all together at one point. And then we accelerated through. But um the problem with that was that we then got onto the tee, the next tee, which was a short hole. And by the time we were like halfway up that hole, that four ball was ready to play because they basically just kept pace with us. 
And I sort of thought this was a curious thing about playing through. You know, I'm, I'm very traditional when it comes to this. And I think, you know, when you wave someone through, you just stand to the side and get out of the way. Um, and then once they've finished the hole, then it is time for you to resume, as it were. Um, so I was just a bit perplexed by, you know, this idea that, yeah, we've waved you through, but now we're just going to continue on for a little while as if nothing's happened. Um, so I sort of posed the question to people of, of you know, what is the correct etiquette in this in this case? And what is the general correct etiquette? What are the rules, Tom, of, of playing through? Because um, what should be a very simple act, as everything in sport seems to come with unseen complications. Well, I mean, it's 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 a, it's an absolute minefield, isn't it? Like people do not like waving groups behind through, do they? Like it's no. a, it's it's almost like it's a kind of a slight on your masculinity, isn't it? That someone's playing golf faster than you, so you're sort of desperate at all times to prove that. Um, the fact they've sort of caught you up due to some very specific extenuating circumstances on that hole, and you'll soon, you know, be back in your right place on the golf course and ahead of them. Um, so I think that we all take far, far too long to wave the group behind through, don't we? Yeah, yeah. I think it's worse actually since COVID. I think it's got worse. Yeah, yeah I think it's become just a thing now. I, I think going back sort of ten years or so. You know, people would like come up to you and tell you when they were going to let you through. They would give you an indication that A, they were aware of your presence and B, they would try and put you through and they would try and get you through at a time that was convenient to them as well as yourselves. And I thought, yeah, there's a bit of planning there. There's a bit of consideration there. I quite, I quite like the fact that there's been a consultation that's gone on. Now they just like, like no one will even look at you anymore. In a yeah. in front. They just <laughs> pretend you're not there. Um, and when you've got this when you've got green that's like completely next to the side of a tee you know like when when the two things are just next to each other um this really weird sort of miming act goes on where 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 you you, they you're sort of staring at them looking over at them um and they just sort of fixed point blank ahead you know, there's no tunnel visions. You know, there's no, there's nothing. You know, honestly, someone could sidewind them and they would just knock them out. Um, and that's definitely become a thing, I think, since COVID. Excuse me. Is this, are, you, are, you, are you making some sort of like new? It's all the new golfers' fault. Point here. Is that what you're saying? No, no, not at all. Um, I do, I, I do think that some of the newer golfers, um, you know, in the you know, probably. Um, no, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's a newer golfers, particularly. I think it's, you know, it's, it, that's like the old, oh, it's visitors who cause the pitch mark things. Uh, and then COVID proved quite comprehensively that it was not visitors causing the pitch mark things. It was lazy golfers, lazy members refusing to do some husbandry. So I'm not, I'm not going to put this in front of, in in front of new golfers. I think it's something that sort of echoes through the sport. But I but I do think that since COVID we've become a little less societal. Um as if that time apart sort of inured us in some way to the needs of others. You see it like football. Football violence has gone up since COVID returned. Um you see yeah. gigs like people who are like shouting out at theatres now. And stuff like that, stuff they would never have done a few years ago, but now in some way seems acceptable because we were we weren't able to do it for some time. And I think this like kind of lack of respect for people 
um, which is all it boils down to, actually, um, is prevalent in this part in golf. You hear a lot of things now when it comes to playing through. People will say things like, well, there's nowhere for you to go. That's my favourite. There's nowhere for you to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's. I mean, I think you make a good point, like post-COVID. I think one of the funny things about playing through is that when when we tell our anecdotes, it's always us that's doing the playing through, isn't it? We're never, you never, like history's told by the victors. We're never, you know, in your stories that you tell, you're never the group in front, are you? That is yeah. one thing. Um, I've almost certainly been as guilty on the other side as I am polemically attacking people on this side as well. I mean, I've got to hold my hand up. That thing that um, you're describing about uh, just being ignored is hilarious. Like, there are lots of times you've been the group behind and you've finished the hole. And then what you do as the group behind is you sort of, you kind of trot up to the next tee, don't you, and try and get your bag on the ground. And I, you've often been in, in scenarios where the group in front are still sort of hitting their tee shots and they just don't say anything. They just sort of quietly put their head cover back on and, and pull the trolley off. It's one of it is a very very peculiar thing. Um, yeah. Par threes are the place to do it, aren't they? That's the way. That's the most efficient way of doing it, isn't it? You all hit your shot up to the green, and then and then they just stand aside and let the group behind through. No. So I played at Rockcliffe, um, Rockcliffe Hall on Sunday, where they had a par three over water, and there was a sign as you went up to it, and it was essentially a call up hole. So what you had to do was to keep pace of play going. You would you would play your shot onto the green, and then you would sort of like walk up to the green. It was like a cart path along the along the side. And then you would basically stand aside, and the other people would would hit their shots onto it. And I was thinking, yeah, that's a perfect time to execute a playing through maneuver because you're all sort of in the similar space anyway, aren't you? Yeah, and I think so. That that that. That was what we always grew up with: is that you, you let you let people through on a par three. What about single players having no standing? Is that still a thing? It isn't anymore. You won't you won't find it in the rules of golf. Um, I mean, I think there are no, there are a couple of things here with single players. I think as a single player, you've just got to realise that you're not going to get the run of the course, particularly if you're there at a key time. I mean, it's I mean it's pointless being a single player and then trying to run around the golf course in under three hours or two and a half hours and get back home, you know, if you're going to be doing it at nine o'clock or any time past nine o'clock. If you're that desperate for a quick round as a single player, play first thing in the morning. Get out there with the with, with the early birds. Um, so you're just going to have to accept that you're going to, you're going to run into some groups. Um, that said, the worst thing for me in a group is being pressed. I hate it. So I'm always looking to I'm always looking to sort of get the person who's faster through at the earliest convenience, really, because it just it, I just feel like when I'm standing over every putt and there's someone in the middle of the fairway with their arms folded, um, it, I just feel terrible about it because I just think, well, I've got four footer here and I'm going to miss it because I'm going to rush it because I'm, I know that you want to get on with it. So I, I, while I think single players have got to be cognizant of the fact that they're sort of within a bigger sphere here and that, you know, you, you're obviously going to run into twos and threes and fours. I also think it just makes sense for those groups to, to basically accept that that is also the case. And if you don't want to be pressed, just let them through. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's, uh, it just it goes back to the point I was making before about like, we're all just desperate not to do it. Um, and the, 
the po- the point about um the the nowhere to go point just just drives you mad, right? There's there's nothing worse than, than being a, a quick two ball and being stuck behind people who say I'm afraid it's just four balls one after the other. It's just like well, okay, well if you let me through, then I could be able to see for myself, won't I? Um, so I don't, I'm not entirely sure why why we all behave like this. Why is it such a big problem? Do you think to be allowing people through? Why why people got their brains in this place? I have no idea, to be honest. It should be the simplest thing, shouldn't it? Just stand aside. I think people like to keep their place. I think people like order. There's a certain order about the T-sheet, isn't there? Um, and, and people don't like to change that. But mostly in my experience, when people have refused to let you through, it's essentially because they're arseholes. <laughs> it, uh, it doesn't happen on tour, does it? Or in uh, sort of elite amateur events you think you're told not to let people through because it it kind of takes too long i think and they want people to be in their in in their correct place is that right i'm not sure i think so you, you don't see a lot of playing through do you at all, at all? no I don't, I don't i don't i think it's a i think it's the thing i think they're told not to as in i think it it takes too long gets people out of the way of where they're supposed to be which um messes up everything like tv and the whole thing so i think um I think it's 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 just something for for club golfers. Um, the other the other thing is the the competi- If you're playing a match, that trumps everything, doesn't it? Um, it's another thing I've definitely experienced where you've had like a club foursomes charging round, and they do just march up and say, "Right, sorry, we're playing a match. We, we'll obviously play through." It's also a very peculiar thing. Like they've got this kind of um, trump card over everyone else because they're playing in a club knockout. I don't know if you've ever had that. Yeah. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred pounds. Go immediately to the next tee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. You are the sort of you are the sort of lord of the course, aren't you? When you're playing in a match, there is there is no higher <laughs> power is there than being able to play that card. I'm in a match which which trumps all things, including your pathetic social golf. So kindly move aside, urchin. And allow the superior player to take place. Yeah, yeah. So we ought to uh, we ought to have some sort of guide, didn't we, um, about how to let people through? So I mean, the first thing is do it immediately, right? First available opportunity, and you just have to accept the fact that as soon as you let someone through, they're definitely going to lose a golf ball because that is just an unwritten rule, isn't it? So thank you very much for letting us through. Oh, what do you know? I've snap hooked it into some heather, and it's all it's all you always hit it into a place where it's not like a pond where it's definitely lost, so it's just a reload. It's always somewhere where you're definitely going to be looking for it for a few minutes. And all of this is um, made worse, like you say, by the fact that you, you're rushing as fast as you possibly can to get out of the way. Yeah. Um, so that's, a good, that's, but, a good second for, that's a good second rule for etiquette of playing through. Don't rush. They've waved you yeah. through. Yeah. Take the time that is necessary to do so. We all do it, don't we? We all go, oh, thanks for letting me through. I will now perform the. I will now perform these next few shots as quickly as I possibly can, irrelevant of what yeah. I might do to the score. Just, just take your time and play normally. Yeah, and then I guess, and then if you are the group allowing people through, then don't loom around like because, like in sort of resentful fashion. Like you say, like once you've done it, like you then have to just stand out of the way. You can't then just sort of like nerdle your ball ever closer to the green. 
and sort of kind of huddle around the people that you've just let through. That, that sounds like the experience you've had, and that happens a lot where it's kind of like, I'm letting you through, but I'm not really. And it's pretty obvious I don't really want to. So I'm just going to kind of fester over here a bit too close to your personal space. Dan tells a great story. Dan Murphy told, told me a great story about where he was he was played through by a group and they then stood right in his driving line, <laughs> like right where he wanted to hit the ball, which is like absolutely perfect, passive, aggressive, playing through action, isn't it? Yeah, I know I've let you through, but I'm going to stand right where you want to hit the ball. Yeah. So I'm not sure about this never ask thing where we started this conversation. I think you should be able to ask. I think you should be able to say, would you mind if I play through because we're going quicker and there's a gap in front. Yeah, I don't really have a problem think, with that. I think an ask is okay. I think where it turns into a demand, that's, you know, when you've got a screeching buggy. I, I, I've heard about experiences where people have, like, turned up in their buggy and just said, right, we're in the buggy, so we're playing through. It wasn't a request. It was a demand. Um, and it yeah. was an expectation that you would just step aside um, and, I, and I think that's just rude it's just like without without any manners I think if you're clearly the faster group you approach someone and you say would you mind then it's a pretty hard group that go no we're just going to keep things as we are um, but I think where, where you sort of as golfers can sometimes do trundle up all self-entitled and say right this is just going to happen then you shouldn't be surprised if you get a bit of a backlash what about what about scenario where you then start going slowly for whatever reason? Do you think you should then allow the group behind through like a sort of lead passing in an F1 race? Is it possible for it to change hands? Well, absolutely. If they're the faster playing group, then then that's then that's what you should do, isn't it? You know, you've not you've not like let them through in perpetuity. If I see you four weeks time <laughs> later at World of Fourteen, you don't have to continue to let me through because you did it that time. The faster group is the one that prevails. Uh, you're right you, when you said passive aggressive that the whole thing is just such a passive aggressive thing isn't it no one wants to say look just let us through we're going faster than you so they just sort of hang around leaning on their clubs well that used to be a thing didn't it that, that was definitely written in some kind of etiquette guide that I read that if you are being held up then you, you have to sort of stand in a non-aggressive fashion right you're not supposed to look frustrated I remember very clearly reading that um, in a previous def- life, sorry, Tom, in a previous life, when I used to write another column, an anonymous column um, at this publication, I used to refer to it as the double teapot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, hands on both hips, absolutely. And, and um, you can tell, you can tell the sort of degree of anger from the group that from the people that were waiting behind on whether they did a single or a double teapot. Singles like half annoyance. Doubles like full blown fury, get out of the way. <laughs> so there's definitely uh, there's definitely passive aggression on behalf of the people trying to play through, but then equally, like we said, there's there's definitely the same attitude from the people allowing you to play through because they they just don't want to, so they're just too close, too in the way, uh, too trying to play the hole with you. Um, it's very, very strange thing. In fairness, I can't really think of a parallel to it because if you talk, like, it's a, I guess it's similar to driving a car, isn't it? But then people, generally speaking, fall into two camps, don't they? People that are just kind of ignorant, and people are then sort of over polite, kind of knights of the road sort of character who are letting people into gaps left, right, and centre. Um, 
I'm not sure that the playing through thing, there's, I'm not sure there's different types of people. I think we're all basically the same, aren't we? We all want to be let through and we all hate pe- letting people through as much as we'd like to yeah, think it was different. Exactly, it's not exactly middle lane driving, is it? No, not really. Anyway, it'd be good to hear people's views on playing through. Um, well, I better go and get on with my days. It's now sort of a normal time to be doing things. Um, basically dawn in California. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly done, yeah. So it was good that though, enjoyed it. Uh, I'll let you know how I get on at Tory. Uh, please do give us a like, a like. Please do a, a subscribe uh, on Apple and on Android. It does help with our viewer numbers. Uh, I'll see you in it when I get back, Steve. I'm looking forward to coming back and telling you all about it. Looking forward to hearing it and seeing the merch. See you next time. <laughs>